0: So it's really good to be back with you all. It's been a while, and I've actually, I have actually returned just over a month ago on February the 17th. And some of you um, might be thinking, that date rings a bell. That could be because that was the day of Storm Eunice. So while some of you got to watch on the news, planes landing in Heathrow, I didn't need the news, no, I was on one of the Qatar Airways flights that was trying to land in Heathrow. Technically, it landed on the second approach. It actually circled three times. And as I was sitting in that plane, and my senses were consumed, consumed with the feeling of the shaking and the circling, the sounds of children crying, and the sounds and symphony of smells of people vomiting all around me. I thought, if I survive this, there is a sermon illustration. (laughs) There there is, (laughs) and uh, and I made it, and I actually think it does connect to what we're talking about today. Um, You see, when I took off from Doha to come to Heathrow, I had heard about Storm Eunice, but for most of the flight, it was fine. We came into London, and from 30,000 feet, it was okay. It was only as we began to descend <laughs> that the magnitude of the storm really hit me. We began to feel it and it got really, really uncomfortable. And to be honest, the passage that Sophie read feels a little bit like that for me. From 30,000 feet, I think Jesus' commands are beautiful love your enemies. And then There are those people in front of me that I need to try and do that too. And it all gets a little bit more shaky. Well, that's my experience anyway. So today we are going to be looking at that passage from Luke 6. I'm actually going to focus most of our time on Luke 6, verses 27 to 36, focusing on Jesus' command to love our enemies. And then At the end, I'll spend a little time, just a brief mention about his words about judging others in verses 37 to 42. But today, as we listen to this, as we seek God's word, we seek to hear God through his word, let's ask God to take us to 30,000 feet to see the beauty, but then to actually allow it to come down to actually impact our lives and change the way we do things. We need to understand what he wants from us and how he can empower us to do that. So before I go further, I just wanna pray again uh, for us this morning. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. And you know that for some people, Just hearing those words read out bring all senses of condemnation. Maybe people already wanna disengage. But we ask that you will speak. We need you, I need you this morning. So would you speak to us through your word? Help us to understand. Remind us of your power to put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll just go for the one earring look, is it, are we clicking? Oh, brilliant, let me take both of them out, just so we, you don't spend all of the time looking at just one. So, we're gonna start, and we see Jesus' really famous command in Luke 6, verse 27. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Dave gave me this passage, and as I looked at this verse, I thought, oh, there are three questions I really need answered. Who is my enemy? What does love look like? And how can I do that? So that's what we're going to come to God's word to find out. Let's start with who is my enemy? Jesus says that we are to love our enemies. And then in his word, in verses 27 and 28, he makes three statements that help us understand who this enemy is. He says, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. The second half of each of those statements helps us to understand who our enemies are. They are people who hate us. That means their attitude towards us is negative. They really dislike us. They curse you. Now, maybe at the time of Jesus, there were people who called down curses on someone, but more broadly, it means they are using their words in a way that negatively is impacting you. Gossip, slander, belittling, or insulting. Things like that. And our enemies are those who mistreat us. Their actions against us are negative. So that could be violence or abuse, but it could also be actions that negatively impact us financially. When someone gets in the way of us having a relationship with someone we love. Betrayal. These are the people that Jesus is talking about. As an aside, Our enemy may not just be an individual, or it may not be a personal enemy. It may not be that that person doesn't like you specifically, but it might be that because of a group that you belong to, or a position that you hold on a topic, people don't like you, speak badly about you, or mistreat you. For some uh, followers of Jesus here, you might feel that there are groups who hate Christians, speak negatively about Christians, or mistreat Christians. It may not be so personal one-on-one, but these two are the people that Jesus is saying we are to love. Later on in the passage, Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. In other words, the people that Jesus is talking about, the people we are to love, our enemies, are those who cannot reciprocate or will not reciprocate our love. They're not necessarily the ones who can repay us for the good that we do to them. They're not the easy people to love. So, who is God bringing to mind for you? Maybe on a personal level or on a group level where you feel that person or group has a negative attitude towards you, uses their words in a way that negatively impacts you, or whose actions are negatively impacting you. I'm not saying that you have labeled them an enemy. I'm not saying you even think about them as an enemy. They may be someone incredibly close to you. But this passage helps us to think how we can love someone who is treating us in that way. So now we know who we're talking about, who is our enemy, we need to think about what does love look like? What's the kind of love Jesus is talking about? Well, in this passage, The word for love that's used, some of you will be familiar with the Greek word agape, it means not the fuzzy feeling of love, but the act of will. It is a choice to seek the highest good of someone even if our feelings aren't there and even if they don't deserve it. It is not based on the merit of the person receiving it. So we are called to love in a way that seeks God's highest good for someone, even if we don't find that person lovely or lovable, and even if the way they've been behaving doesn't seem to deserve it. Those three statements that we looked at earlier, they help us as well. And now let's look at the beginning. Love is active. Do good to those who hate you. Our actions, should be intentionally seeking the highest good of our enemies. Bless those who curse you. Our words should be intentionally seeking the highest good of those who may have hurt you. And pray for those who mistreat you. That's a challenge. That's not just being publicly nice, and I think some of us can be publicly nice. That's about behind closed doors, when it's you and God, are you asking God to bless that person and to do his highest good in their life when no one's watching? It is seeking God's highest best for someone else in our actions, our words, and in our prayers. But that is not easy. Well, I haven't found it easy. When I... Relocated over to Southeast Asia about eight and a half years ago. I went with lots of hopes and dreams. I had no idea that the first four and a half years of me being there would be so tainted in some ways, so affected by hurt. I felt really hurt by some people. I felt that there was some betrayal, disloyalty. I felt that they'd hurt me. But I tell you what was worse. They hurt people I loved, and that really got me. And as I've had to prepare this sermon, God has been reminding me of those days. And he's been asking me, Jude, when that was going on, were you consistently acting for the best of the other person? Were you consistently using your words for their benefit and their good? Were you praying for the best for them? Or were you more interested in being vindicated and being proved right? And if I'm honest, it was often the latter. And God asked me, did you want me to bless them? Were you willing to be a part of me blessing them? Or deep down, would you have been secretly a little bit happy if things hadn't gone well for them, because you would have felt that you'd been proven right. And the truth is, the latter. And God was reminding me, I did not love like this. I did not love them that way. I did not reach his standard of consistently seeking their best. I can see that I fell short and I was often focused on myself. I wanted vindication. Jesus goes on in this passage to go into more detail about what this love looks like, and it looks like mercy and grace. In verse 29, if you look in your Bibles, it says, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now, I think uh, it really helped me when I read what one commentator said about this. He said, this may not be about a punch-up. At the time of Jesus, if someone slapped someone with the back of their hand across their face, that was the ultimate insult and sign of rejection. So some of the early followers of Jesus may have had someone come up to them at the synagogue, slap them across the face in that way as a sign of rejection. You're a heretic, you're not welcome here anymore. So it was an ultimate sign of rejection, deeply embarrassing. They would have been totally ashamed. And what Jesus is saying is, when you are totally insulted, rejected, publicly humiliated, turn the other cheek. Don't retaliate. Do not repay that evil with evil. Your instinct will be to be defensive. Your instinct will be to want to retaliate. But don't do that, is what Jesus says. That is mercy. Mercy is not giving someone what they deserve. The negative that they deserve, the retaliation that they deserve, don't give it to them. That's mercy. But Jesus goes even further. If you look in your Bibles in verses 29 and 30, Jesus starts talking about actually giving to someone who is actively hurting you at the time. Giving to someone when they are in the middle of hurting you. That is grace. Grace is giving someone something good that they don't deserve. They don't deserve that kindness and you're doing it anyway. Jesus sums it up perfectly in that verse 31, doesn't he? Do to others as you would have them do to you. So at the time, or there has been a rabbi who said, um, the whole law could be summed up in, what is hateful to thee, do not to another. So there's this rabbi who says, what is hateful to thee, do not to another. It's what I would say to my four-year-old niece. Do you like when someone does that to you? No? Well, don't do it to them. That's the common understanding. Jesus pushes it to another level because he reframes this statement positively. It's not just withhold bad. Actively do good to others even when they may not be doing good to you. It's really a high standard, isn't it? Now, I do want to mention that seeking someone's highest good Seeking someone's highest good does not mean that we're saying that what they're doing is right. We're not saying that the bad things that they're doing are okay. And we're also not saying that that always means that there's no consequences. You might, when being treated badly, pray, ask God for wisdom, and the Holy Spirit shows you that the best thing for that person is for you to go and address the issue with them so that they can change giving them a chance to turn around. It doesn't mean sweeping it under the carpet necessarily, but what it does mean is that our eyes are not on ourselves, like I was, my vindication, do I get proved right? But my eyes are on them. What is God's best for them? How can I be a part of that? And that might be through addressing the issue with them, or even them experiencing some consequences of that action. But the heart is for their best, that they can change so that they can grow. So God is acting us, asking us to actively work for the highest good of our enemies. He's asking us to extend mercy and grace. But now the big question, how can I do that? How can I do that? And as I've looked at this passage, three things have stood out to me. The first is, That Jesus says there is a reward for loving your enemies. In verse 35 he says, then your reward will be great. Now I'm not saying that we love our enemies to get a reward, I'm not saying that that's the reason, but it's helpful to know that when God asks us to love our enemies, when Jesus says love your enemies, it's not just for their good, it's actually for our own good. And there's lots of ways that we are blessed when we love our enemies, but one thing came to mind for me. I was thinking that loving our enemies actually gives us freedom. It empowers us when we could be powerless. Now, some of you might be looking at me and going, Jude, I don't know what passage you're reading, but when I read this passage, it looks like Jesus is saying, accept defeat, be a doormat, be powerless. But the more I've read the passage, I think that's not what it's saying. It's not what it's saying. It actually empowers us, rather than leaving us powerless. Well, let me put it this way. Who is more free? The person who, when they're hurt, snaps back, retaliates, lashes out. Whose heart is filled with anger, bitterness, pain. Their mind and their heart is just constantly stewing over the issue. Is that person free? Or is the person who, when they're hurt, says, you've hurt me, but you can't make me a hateful person. You can't make me a gossip. You can't make me bitter. I choose to love you. I think that's more free. And to be honest, I've seen some people like that. I've seen people who have loved their enemies, and they walk in the most beautiful freedom, because their hearts are not consumed with anger or bitterness. They've let it go. And so I think that as we follow Jesus' command, we can experience freedom. And maybe some of us here will realize that we're not walking in that freedom. Maybe it's like there are chains in our hearts that leave us feeling bitter. Maybe God wants to start working on that in us. The second motivation, the second thing that I was reminded of from this passage about how we can love our enemies is that in doing so, we get to reflect God. If you look in verse 35, it says, And you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. So when we extend mercy, we get to reflect him. I think there's uh, such a beautiful thing there that we get to reflect God in this broken world. And I was thinking it's a bit like family resemblance, actually. Um, So I wanted to use my brother as an illustration of this. Um, It's a picture of my brother. who I love to bits, he said I could use him as an illustration as long as I said that he's the favorite. Um, that's not true, but I had to say it. So in some uh, families, there is a clear physical resemblance between people, genetic resemblance. So my brother, uh, he inherited my mom's beautiful blue eyes. I'll be honest, I was quite jealous about that as a child, but I think I'm just about over it now. And. Um, This kind of genetic family resemblance is also true for us. When we become a follower of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, it says that the Holy Spirit is living in you. And that Holy Spirit produces character qualities like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In other words, all the things that we need to love our enemies. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is available to empower us, to show us how we can love our enemies. A second kind of family resemblance is the kind of family traditions or characteristics that in this family we do X, Y, and Z. So uh, my Nana made it very clear that in our family we were Glasgow Rangers supporters That was just the truth. And uh, so my dad was a Glasgow Rangers supporter, and my brother um, is a Glasgow Rangers supporter, at least that's his favorite Scottish team. And there's the same kind of family resemblance for us. It says that our Father in heaven is merciful, so we're merciful. In other words, in this family, we do mercy. So we get to reflect Him when we're merciful. But actually, there's a third kind of family resemblance that God has been speaking to me about uh, as I've been preparing this. There's the family resemblance that comes from experience. So my dad was very intentional about making sure that my brother and I knew that we were loved. Every day, he would say to both of us, I love you, or what am I gonna tell you today? To which we would groan, You love us, yes, that was true, and he would do it every day. Whether we were being good or bad, he always declared that love over us and had actions that backed it up. Now my brother is a father. You can see my gorgeous niece on the screen. And I get to watch while he showers love on her. And he says, I was loved unconditionally and I want her to feel that. I want her to experience what I got. I love seeing that. But that's what God was talking to me about in this passage. You see, as I prepared the sermon, I was thinking, God is merciful. He's forgiving. Jesus loved his enemies. And then it was like God whispered in my ear, Jude, you were his enemy. It's not just he loved those enemies out there, you were his enemy. The Bible says that before we come to God, before we accept Jesus, we are God's enemies. And God was reminding me that this wasn't some general love and general mercy. He reminded me again of what he had done for me that when I was unworthy, I had done nothing to deserve it. He loved me. He brought me back to the cross. This series is called More Like Jesus, how Jesus was willing to be nailed to a cross to forgive us, though we had done nothing to deserve it. And God really reminded me Jesus died for you. You are selfish and proud and judgmental and lazy and so many things I could keep going. But he has loved you and he still loves you. You've experienced it. There's a children's Bible that says that God has loved us with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. I got to experience that love. And God was reminding me now you get to show it to other people. You've experienced that kind of love. Now show it to others. So we are motivated to. Um, love our enemies when we realize that it's for our good, there's a reward. When we realize that in doing so, we get to reflect our merciful Father in heaven. We get to reflect Jesus in the way that he treated his enemies. And then there's one last thing that I was reminded of that helps me as I deal with this. We are able to love our enemies because we remember that God is judge. It says in this passage that God has shown kindness and mercy, but he shows that kindness and mercy in the way that he judges. He is the final judge. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body whether good or bad. To be honest, I don't get the impression that we really like talking about God being judge, certainly not here in leafy Buckinghamshire. Um, It does feel a bit uncomfortable, but I think we need to know that God is judge in order to be able to love others. There are some people in this room and terrible things have been done to you. In a room this size, Some of you have experienced awful things, awful. The only way that you can be released to love your enemy is to know that God saw that, he sees it now, he says that it's wrong, and that ultimately he will judge rightly. When we choose to love our enemies, we're not saying that what they're doing is okay, but we're saying, I give up my right to be the one to judge them, and I'm leaving God to do His job. It's not for me to do. The problem is that when we lose an understanding of God being judge, we tend to try to take the job on ourselves. We start to look down on others, and we start to place judgment on others. So, knowing that God is judge helps us to be able to love our enemies, But actually, it also helps us more broadly to be less judgmental of other people, to stop looking down on others. I want you to imagine, for some of you this will be terribly difficult, and for some of you, maybe less difficult. I want you to imagine that you have committed a crime. It's something that you you did, you feel terribly about, and you were caught. You know that you've done wrong and you are brought to a courtroom. As you get to the courtroom, you find that there's a group of other people there who have also committed crimes. Not the same crime as you, necessarily, but one holding a similar sentence. They're all waiting. And then the judge comes in. The judge comes in and calls your name, and you go up to the docks, and he looks you in the eye, and he says, how do you plead? And you say, I plead guilty. There's no point lying at this point. The evidence is conclusive. And the judge then pronounces a sentence. He says, you need to pay a fine, but that fine is hundreds of times more than you could ever imagine paying. You say, there's just no way I can't do that. I cannot pay that fine. And then the judge looks at you and says, I'll pay it for you. It can come from my account. Imagine the relief but also imagine how you would begin to look not only at the judge but at the other people in that room, those fellow criminals. Imagine that you waited around and heard them as they went up for trial. Would you be there going, Oh, I hope he really throws the book at them. I hope they get the maximum sentence. Or would you be thinking, I hope they get another chance like I did. I hope that even though what they've done is wrong, that they get a bit of grace. I hope that's what I'd be thinking. Then imagine the judge goes out of the room for a coffee break and you launch yourself out of your seat into his chair. And you start saying, what would you start saying? Would you start saying, no mercy for you, you're a lost cause. Nothing can be done with you. Would you say that? People will be thinking, who does that person think they are? They're not the judge. Not only are they not the judge, they just got forgiven. Who are they to start talking like that about others? And if you're a follower of Jesus, we are like that forgiven criminal. We have done wrong, we were found guilty, but we weren't condemned because of Jesus. We have received grace. Now, I'm not saying that not judging other people means that we don't say that something is right or wrong. It wouldn't make a lot of sense for Jesus to show us and tell us how to live if after all of it we said, but we can't really know what's right or wrong. Everyone do whatever you feel like. I don't think that's what he means. When Jesus tells us not to judge others, in verse 37 he says do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. He's talking about our attitude towards people who have done wrong. That we would have an attitude that says that may have been wrong but you know what? I've done wrong things too. I'm not better than you. I'm not looking down on you. I hope you get another chance. I hope you get the very best. So Jesus is reminding us in the second half of this passage that I'm not going into detail on, Jesus is reminding us that we have to remember that God is the judge. We need to stop getting into his chair as I too often do. When we place ourselves in that chair, we make ourselves judge, jury and executioner and that's not our job. So today, we've looked at a lot of things. We've looked at the fact that who our enemies are, what love looks like, and then we've been reminded that we're motivated, we're able to love others, because there's a reward for doing that, it's good for us, because we get to reflect God's amazing love in this world, and we also need to keep ourselves out of Jesus's seat of judgment and we should be extending mercy and grace to others, letting him be the judge. I realize that this is a a little view from 30,000 feet, but like I said at the beginning, what we really want to see is God taking that and speaking to us about what that looks like in our lives in real life, how we can actually apply that for those people, those people that are really difficult. I realize that for some of you, this may have triggered some emotions. This may have brought back lots of memories. It did for me in the week preparing. Some of you may be thinking, Jude, you have no idea what I've been through. And you are absolutely right, I don't. But God does, so I wanna pray that he'll speak. He'll tell us what he wants to do, and then I'm gonna ask Dave to lead from there. So let's pray. Father, this is a hard topic. You know how it's been hard for me, and you know the heart of every person in this room, and if it's hard for them. Would you speak into our hearts now? Would you show us what you want us to take away? How you want us to respond? Lord, I pray that you will lead us into the beautiful freedom of loving our enemies.